to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Remember, immediately after this uh, service, underneath the exit sign, go out those doors. We're going to have popsicles on the porch. A good time for us to get to know each other, meet some folks that maybe we don't know quite yet. Also, tomorrow at noon, we're going to have a closing the distance conversation that we're started up again this summer. We're talking about the previous day's sermon theme subject. It's unscripted, so we digress a lot, but it's a lot of fun. If you have comments or questions that you want to make, you can either email me or Terry Kish, and we'll try to cover them and make it as entertaining as possible. Well, today we continue our sermon series, Summer of Love, by reflecting on God's love for us and how God calls us to love one another. Today's passage is one of the great passages in Holy Scripture. Actually, uh, Lindsay Slocum told me that this is her favorite passage in all of Scripture. So I stole it from her. Now it's mine. How's that for love, right? (laughs) But it comes from Paul's great letter to the church in Rome. So let's look at what he has to say about God's love. Let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that this reality of your love for us might not just be an intellectual one known abstractly, but that it might pierce our hearts, that we might experience it in the depth of our being. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For the past 15 years, I've been thinking about a conversation I had at a New Year's Eve party. I was invited to this loft in South Atlanta for a New Year's Eve dance party. It was full of kind of cool, hipster kind of people. The music was blaring. The people were dancing. The strobe light was flickering. I'm not much of a dancer, so I kind of moved to the edge of the dance floor with all the other wallflowers. <laughs> Since I was just standing there, I started to feel a little awkward, so I turned to the guy who was standing next to me. I said, hi, my name's Jeff. He says, hi, my name's Brad. I said, how do you... Know the folks who live here? He says, oh, actually, I live in the loft next door. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, well, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a professor at SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. I said, oh, that's cool. What what kind of art do you teach or do? He says, I'm a painter. I said, oh, cool. Well, 
What do you paint? He says, I paint the ghosts of dead people on landscapes. Oh. <laughs> he says, Would you, do you want to see some of my paintings? Yes. He says, all right, let's go next door. So we go over. We walk into his loft. And there on the walls, looking down at us, are the ghosts of dead people on landscapes. It was one of the most surreal moments of my life. And then Brad asks me, well, what do you do? I'm a Presbyterian minister. And somehow he thought I was stranger than he was. And then we began to talk about matters of faith. He said that he could never believe. And then he said, there's something I've been thinking about for a long time. He says, most of the things I, in the world I feel like I can explain and make sense of. But there's one thing I can't. It's one thing I can't explain or really make sense of. And that is love. And there, standing in a room with the ghosts of dead people on landscapes looking down on us, we began to talk about the miracle of love. Love is a miracle. To care about someone or something, not out of self-interest, but out of the interest of others, that's love. And love is a miracle. Because for most of us, our worst fear may be best expressed by the blues singer B.B. King. Nobody loves me but my mother, and she could be jiving too. I've, I believe there is a, a fundamental desire to be loved. We all have a desire to be loved, loved by our family, loved by our friends, loved by God. But there's a problem. Our family will let us down. Our friends will fail us. But what about God? Can we trust in God's love? Nobody loves me but my mother. And she could be jiving too. Charles Darwin recognized that at the root of the natural world is the principle that he called survival of the fittest. Listen to Darwin's passage from On the Origin of the Species, he writes, It may be difficult, but we ought to admire the savage instinctive hatred of the queen bee, which urges her instantly to destroy the young queens, her daughters, as soon as born, or to perish herself in the combat, for undoubtedly this is for the good of the community. He says this is the process of natural selection. Natural selection where we're trying to maximize our reproduction, pass our genes on to the next generation, and this leaves little room for love. You see, love often requires self-sacrifice, and self-sacrifice and self-reproduction are contradiction in terms. We all have a, a natural tendency that we want to survive, pass on our genes to the next generation generation and usually we're willing to do this at the expense of others 
Human beings are self-interested creatures. Darwin wasn't alone in his observations. In philosophy, Nietzsche said that love, it was a great weakness. In psychology, Freud said love is a psychological malady, it's a sickness. And that's what's so remarkable, really miraculous about the Christian gospel, is we believe that at the heart of all reality is love. This isn't natural selection. This is a supernatural revelation. We know this not from observing the outside world, but from what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul writes, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Now Paul here in the Greek uses the Greek word agape or agape. The early Christians took this Greek word and they gave it their own spin and their own meaning about what it meant. See, agape love is not concerned about benefiting the self. It's not self-interested. It's about doing good, benefiting someone else. That's love. Agape is an event. Agape love is an action. It's meant to be lived out on the ground. And so Paul says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Paul goes on, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, is Paul just kind of waxing poetic here, giving kind of a rhetorical flourish, or does he actually believe this? Does he mean what he says? And if he does, how are we to understand it? Because I think we all know that if you've ever felt distress or persecution, if you've ever felt hunger from famine, Have you ever felt the fear of peril or pain from the sword? You don't really feel the love of God in the moment, do you? So how should we understand God's love in the reality of our present predicament where we're often suffering? I think one of the best ways to understand God's love is like this. Has anyone ever asked you, when were you saved? When were you saved? I love it when people ask me, tell me when were you saved? And I know in the back of their mind they have this image of me walking down to an altar call or being at a Billy Graham crusade or walking down the street and someone giving me a track, me praying the four spiritual laws. They're looking for a dramatic conversion story. But many of us are like me and we're raised in the church. There's really never been a dramatic conversion experience. There's never been really a time didn't know of God's love. So in cases like mine, when someone says, when, when were you saved? I get very dramatic and I say, 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha. They're like, ooh, that'll shut them up. <laughs> you see, my salvation is not up to me. It's not me praying a prayer, saying yes. It's tied up in God's yes to me. 
God expressing God's love in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ long before I ever existed. And that's why the Apostle Paul can write, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. What? In Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ. We know of God's love for us because of who Jesus Christ is. It's an objective truth in reality. That nothing in our lives can separate or change. It already happened. Everything is different because of what God did in Christ 2,000 years ago. The eternal God broke into our finite reality to express his love for the world. This is why it's different maybe than our current situation. But that doesn't make it any less true that something has broken in outside of the cosmos coming from the transcendent and broken into our reality. I believe we all have a human desire to experience this eternal love of God. We were created for this. I've learned this from one of the great theological books of our time. I will love you till the cows come home. My favorite chapter goes like this. I will love you till the yaks come back from a jaunt downtown for a grassy snack in a fire truck or a Cadillac. I will love you till the yaks come back. It's interesting. If you flip over the book on the back of the book, they have an endorsement there from the school library journal. And the endorsement reads, this rhyming narrative teaches children the comforting lesson that love is eternal. When you start making claims about something being eternal, you've moved into the realm of theological thinking. Why should we believe that love is eternal? We really can't even conceive of eternity. Think about the biggest expanse of time you can absolutely think of and conceive. Guess what? Eternity is just a little bigger. Think it bigger. Oh, it's still bigger. We can't even wrap our minds around it. Philosophers and theologians, they call this the infinite qualitative distinction between us and God. It means God is wholly other. God transcends our physical experience and physical world. God transcends creaturely reality. But if that's the case, then how do we know God is a God of love? We only know that if God would reveal it to us. And that's exactly what we believe Scripture attests to. God reveals God's love in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Scripture. That's why God's love transcends our present circumstances and our present condition, what's presently happening. I will love you till the cows come home. God's eternal love has been revealed to us finite creatures in Jesus Christ. And God loves us till the yaks come back. And trust me, that's a long time. In many ways, Presbyterian and Reformed theology developed around this issue. This is what we put at the center of what we believe and who we are. 
That God loved us long before we loved God. That God said yes to us long before we said yes to God. Sure, there is God's no to sin. But before that no to sin, there's a prior yes to us that God is for us. As the Swiss theologian Karl Barth liked to used to say, God's no is always wrapped in a much bigger yes. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. And that goes for all of us. We are all part of the same human family in Christ, and that should transform our relationships. I'm reminded of a story I heard about a Midwestern school teacher. She's recounting the story of the first day at school. There were two boys there. They had the same last name but looked completely different. She went up to them and said, are you guys brothers? And one of the boys responded, yes, but one of us is adopted. I can't remember which one. That's what it's like to be in God's family. We are adopted by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And when we experience that, when we experience God's love, not as an abstract truth or some general piece of knowledge, but we experience it for us, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When it goes from being a general truth to be for us, that's the Holy Spirit making it real to us. And that will transform us as people. In the 12th century, St. Bernard of Clairvaux taught about how this love transforms us in his teaching what he calls the four degrees of love. He says, we go in a process from loving ourselves for our sake to loving God for our sake to loving God for God's sake to loving ourselves for God's sake. That life-altering, transforming love. In the 19th century, the Danish theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard was working in what he called a Christian culture. One of the great books, I think about this, is called uh, Kierkegaard, A Missionary to Christians. He often saw his vocation as waking Christians up to the magnificent, miraculous nature of God's love, that we'd fallen asleep. One of his great books on this topic is called Works of Love. And he's got this image of an actor. He says, we're all actors and we put on costumes and we rarely ever truly see each other. Our costumes come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. They come in our jobs, in our careers, with our family, our race and ethnicity, our clothes, our class. He says, but if we could take off these costumes, if we could truly see who we are, we would see what he called an inner glory of equality or a common watermark. Every human being has that. And he says, because that's true, there are two things we know about every human being. Number one, that each individual was created in the image of God out of love. And second, that God gave God's son, Jesus Christ, for that person to redeem them. We know that about every person who lived. What can separate us from that love? Absolutely nothing. Let me conclude with a story about when I truly felt God's love. A number of years ago, I was serving at a different church. And I was meeting with my elder named Paul. He was responsible for the young adult ministry. And we were meeting over lunch. 
We talked about our strategic plan, our goals, upcoming events. We looked over the minutes from the last team meeting. When we were done with our lunch, I told Paul I'd walk him back to his office. And so there we were walking down Peachtree Street in Midtown, Atlanta. Paul knew I'd been going through a really rough time lately. It's pretty raw emotionally. And he said, Jeff, how you been lately? And I said, man, not well. He said, really? I said, yeah, not well. I, pretty raw. I said, you know, it's gotten pretty ugly. I, like, like, I'm so like, I don't even know if God loves me anymore. And he turns and he looks at me. And there on Peachtree Street in lunchtime rush hour traffic, Paul grabs me and begins to hug me. And he violently shakes me saying, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And if you would have been driving down Peachtree in Midtown that morning, you would have seen me bawling my eyes out while the 6'5 guy holds a 6'5 white guy, shaking him, saying, God loves you. God loves you. And he's right. Beyond our present circumstances, God loves us. And what I felt that day, I hope each of you can feel. The good, gracious, good news that God has loved us in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done or where you've gone. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for that love that is objectively revealed in Jesus Christ. We pray that it might become real to us by your Holy Spirit, that we might know the miraculous nature of your love, no matter where we might be. And Lord, that that love might boil up and flow into the lives of others. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.